Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we have Phil Attreed, Head of Investment Consulting, talking to Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, and Juliet Rogan, Head of High Growth and Entrepreneurs, about the latest on the pandemic, Brexit, and the current trade tensions, as well as the accelerating transition to our digital future. Hello and welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. As we seem to say every edition, uh, there really are no shortages of headlines at the moment, from the trouble brewing in the Himalayas to the resurging coronavirus outbreaks in Florida, Texas and other economies as much of the world looks to reopen for business. I'm Phil Atreed, Barclays Head of Investment Consulting, and to help us navigate through all this strife and hopefully a bit of cheer, we have Will as normal, but sorry, Will, more interestingly this week, we're joined by Juliet Rogan, uh, a senior representative from our business bank. So Juliet has the enviable role of focusing on our very exciting high growth and entrepreneur customers. We'll take a look at how some of these rapidly emerging businesses are navigating through the current difficulties shortly. But first up, Will, could you just give us a rundown of the news as you're seeing it? The boring bit first, as they say. Uh, Phil, that's no problem. I won't take any offence. You're you're entirely right. Um, You're totally right. There is a lot going on at the moment. We've talked, you know, recently about, um, you know, the kind of the investor mood or sentiment as measured by our in-house indicator, you know, swinging into kind of manically happy territory from the depths of despondency we saw back at the end of March. Uh, Well, that's a bit less the case now. The mood looks a little bit more balanced after the consolidation um, of the um, the last week. Now, as you highlighted in your your, your introduction there, you know, there's there's plenty in both the negatives and the positives column and in between. Um, We, like everyone else, um, are watching the outbreak in the US uh, for any information that can be gleaned about about what level of economic activity can actually be achieved without provoking um, a second wave of the virus. The message from the US here, unfortunately, is just not very clear in truth. Uh, We are seeing case counts increase in about 20 states, flatten about 10, uh, and decline in about 20 others. Um, And if we try and explain the differences in those experiences across the states with regards to the outbreaks by sort of looking at kind of mobility statistics or uh, or even kind of, you know, the degree of uh, reopening that we've seen, it doesn't seem to be much of a pattern. So it's a little bit confusing still. There has, on the uh, other side, been tentatively better news on treatment. So, you know, you saw the news, uh, news earlier in the week. Um, we've had a bit more evidence as well that policymakers will continue to pull out all the stops, and the UK included. We just had the Bank of England to make their announcement. And the economic data has mostly come in a quite a lot better than feared um, too. Nonetheless, I think in summary, it's pretty clear that in the absence of a vaccine, chunks of the global economy are going to be rowing against the tide for a while yet even if the recovery you know the latest data is telling us uh, that the recovery to that kind of new normal uh, could be a quick bit quicker than um, we feared a couple of months ago quite and 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 in case they've slipped our attention recently i've seen you've uh, written an article this week about the latest on brexit and the trade war so a quick rundown of where we're at with brexit if you will yes um no you're right i mean obviously the policy agenda has been dominated by the fight against this uh, late Latest uh, coronavirus, but but the last few weeks have seen Brexit and the trade tensions between the US and China uh, kind of return to prominence again. Um, for Brexit, time is clearly tight. It was tight before the pandemic, in truth. Um, but this week at least saw some impetus injected into the negotiations by the meeting between you know the Prime Minister and uh, the presidents of the European Commission and the EU Council. 
Now, uh, you know, we've got to admit, you know, few who followed the twists and turns of this saga will retain much of much faith in their ability uh, to see clearly how it ends, at least not with a straight face anyway. But nonetheless, those, most commentators are putting together uh, kind of less less ambiguously pro-Brexit government uh, with that very tight timetable. Uh, and they're assuming that the outcome lies somewhere in between, uh, uh, somewhere in the range between an exit on World Trade Organization terms, which remember uh, would take the UK out of the single market, the customs union, and leave them with no, leave us with no obligation to um, align to EU standards. Uh, and at the other end is kind of a, a very skinny trade deal. I think the point we'd make on this, you know, some do see you know, future upside from such a schism, but the shorter term reality is likely to be, you know, quite a lot more disruptive for the UK economy. Of course, and no doubt we'll have Sophie scheduled in the next couple of weeks in government relations to come back and, and give us a bit more of an update on, on what we're seeing, some key deadlines approaching there, as you say. Um, and, and Will, where are we on the topic of US-China trade tensions as well? That's sort of bubbling along in the background. Yes, I guess sort of give it a who knows again, really. Uh, you know, US politics is um, it's pretty interesting right now or pretty noisy. You know, you've got the, uh, uh, you know, the John Bolton tell-all adding to the cacophony at the moment this week. Nonetheless, whoever is in the hot seat, we would do well to expect a, a continued rupture between these two kind of modern superpowers, in our opinion, which will unfortunately have implications for the world's growth prospects. But the point here, I think, is that some of the complementary aspects of the US and Chinese economic efforts uh, over the last couple of decades will be negated as China is kind of forced to fill in uh, some of the development gaps previously plugged um, by the US. Uh, and these duplicated efforts, uh, they will, or they should, if they do materialise, you know, they should crimp global efficiency, if you think about it. Uh, this is a game, basically, where there's there's no likely winners, only those who lose a little bit less. Uh, you know, and for those thinking about kind of, you know, a greater de- degree of self-dependency as a good thing, you know, to a very extreme example um, of self-sufficiency, uh, that's really what the North Korean uh, economy is aimed for, Total self-sufficiency. So that's really you know, to the extreme ends uh, of where that ends. I'm not saying that either the US or uh, China are going to end up there, but it, it certainly does highlight some of the dangers of uh, trying just to uh, operate as, a, as an island. Thanks, Will. So, Ju- Juliet, coming to you, Thank first, thank you for joining us on, on the call. Um, this is a perfect uh, opportunity to sort of uh, bring you in while Will is agonising over uh, sort of future growth prospects for the UK economy and the world uh, at large. I guess this might not be so much of a problem for some of the businesses that you work closely with and obviously support. Um, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, they're very weighty topics in terms of the concerns going forward. But in terms of what, what I do and what my team does, we look after the high growth entrepreneurial companies across the UK. So these companies have typically grown 20% year on year for the last three years. And a lot of them are digitally enabled and or equity backed. That's a broad spectrum of growth companies from say a world leading AI company that's raised you know hundreds of millions of dollars right through to a children's clothes company that is scaled nationally through using online channels. And what we, we do for these businesses is support really with providing the business banking for the companies, but also facilitating introductions through our corporate and investor network that we operate through Eagle Labs and Barclays Ventures. So certainly these businesses are resilient uh, at their core and they um, are, are used to pivoting and have been able to survive through the crisis and, and, and beyond. And so what have you observed these high growth companies being particularly effective at during the challenges of the past few months? Um, well, what we've seen with high growth companies is their abil- ability to pivot and to, you know, is, is core to their 
the way that they grow and operate. Um, so what we've seen them do is, you know, be early adopters of technology. Um, they've been working remotely really effectively, and they've also been trying to capitalize on the opportunities of a new kind of a new normal, so to speak. So whether that's through switching sales and distribution to online channels, or, you know, indeed flipping the conference scene has gone totally virtual. Uh, we saw the COGX happened last week and there was 40,000 people signed up to it, which, you know, really shows the ability to leverage this new normal environment into an opportunity. And uh, furthermore, I think the yeah. importance of the digital economy and high growth companies prior to the pandemic, um, it's clear from the business business working groups that were announced by Alok Sharma last week that you know these these kinds of businesses are going to be key to you know the government's plans to support in terms of the you know the bounce back of the UK economy. And and well, is it fair to say that the story for the digital economy is, is kind of what we're seeing the world over? Yeah, it's interesting you hear Juliet saying uh, saying that, and, and it's totally um, what you're seeing everywhere else. I think the sense is that many of the kind of technology themes that were underway before the crisis have just seen a step change, have been supercharged uh, in their adoption, um, driven, of course, um, and, you know, Juliet alluded to that, you know, by the need to connect with employees and customers digitally. Now, that could be part of the good news in this crisis, if you look at the kind of future um, growth prospects, providing some kind of efficiency savings uh, to help offset some of the kind of freshly induced, um, you know, freshly introduced friction elsewhere. But I think, you know, just as a sort of, you know, to make a slightly gloomier point, um, and, and again, Juliet alluded to the kind of the labour market and the furlough story, we are likely going to have to accept that, you know, with this transformation, and with all economic transformations in a way, you tend to see quite rapid changes in the nature of the jobs available, uh, and therefore kind of significant disruption to the labour market as, as a result. It's kind of pr- part of the price tag um, for these kind of step changes in innovation and productivity and efficiency. You know, history tells us other jobs do crop up in other areas, but it, 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 you know, the labour market is asked to bear significant disruption. Yeah, so I mean, you're mentioning disruption to the labour market there, but if I look shorter term, UK employment data actually, believe it or not, looks a little better than one might have expected. Is that testament to the sort of furlough furloughed scheme? Yeah, yeah, up to a point, fully right. I mean, it, it, I think if you look at the, I mean, if you look at the data, so the category of employed but temporarily out of work you know, that probably corresponds to your kind of furloughed employees. Uh, and that suggests that about 12% of the workforce has been caught up um, or caught by this scheme, which is um, which is good. But I mean, uh, you know, and, and obviously you know, extremely helpful for those people to start with. But I think, you know, we have to probably, we'd still expect unemployment to rise further from here. If you think about it, you know, the, the labour market has to absorb lots of new entrants on a regular basis. So new jobs have to be uh, created for those new entrants into the labour market. For the moment, you know, there's a, quite a paucity of job vacancies at the level of the overall economy. And that sub- suggests that the labour market is going to struggle to absorb those new entrants. So you, you may see unemployment tick up a little bit. But looking a bit further forward, one of the things that we really need to help fuel the economy, you know, to Juliet's point, is that you need, you need a labour market that feels sufficiently confident in its ability to actually get a job that actually individuals are willing to quit jobs and move around to where they are most needed. And in a way, the kind of future safety net you design around the world, it's not just the UK, will likely have a, you know, quite an important role to play in that story if you think about it. And Julia, it'd be great to get some of your insight into the support that's been made available specifically to those high growth companies um, through the COVID pandemic. Well, look, lots of support's been 
made available to high growth companies really over the last 10 years with the launch of Tech Nation and the Scale Up Institute. It's been seen as a really important part of the UK's kind of growth throughout that time. And the existing support has come through the startup loan scheme, you know, local enterprise partnerships and tax incentives uh, through EIS and SEIS in order to promote investment in early stage high growth and high risk companies. Whilst, you know, high growth companies, particularly through the pandemic, have been able to avail of, you know, the government schemes around furlough and government grants, uh, one of the challenges has been around some of the loan guarantee schemes, like the Corona Business Interruption Loan Scheme, uh, whereby they have been to, like they're based on state aid rules and therefore the company has to show its ability to repay the facility, which has 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 meant that it's been more difficult for them to access that the, those loan guarantee schemes. Right. And so is, is that sort of possibly where the future fund comes in? I've read a few articles on this. They've caught my eye. Um, for our listeners, could you just maybe expand on, on, on that? Fund? Yeah. So the future fund is exactly that, really. It's been launched in order to be able to support uh, equity-backed, VC-funded companies, you know, through a convertible loan note. So it was a £250 million fund with match funding from VC and private investors. It opened up for applications on the 20th of May. And, you know, the scheme was actually fully subscribed almost on the on the first day, which really, I think, is a testament to the amount of private capital that's been in the market that has essentially been unlocked by the um, the match funding available from from government. And certainly the application process has been really quite straightforward. We've got a number of companies that we're working with that have been able to access it whilst they're, they're working through the applications. The application window is still open and it should be open until the end of September. Um, and as I think the government see it as a very much a demand led initiative because of that match funding piece. So, you know, the external the, the due diligence is provided through the external investment that's being match funded through the through the future fund vehicle. Um, so I think it's a really positive move and, and certainly been very well received by the market. And one additional point that's really worth highlighting is that the, the challenge around uh, that the government faced when setting up the scheme was to ensure that the continued support of both regional and diverse founders was maintained as so much progress has been made with the Invest in Women Code and Diversity VC. So as such, the investors accessing the future fund have been recommended to sign up to the Invest in Women Code which commits signatories to improve access to funding and entrepreneurship to support female founders specifically. You know, this, what's really good about this is it will increase both the number of funds that are signed up to the Invest in Women Code and ensure much clearer visibility on where funds are being deployed across the UK. I know that that's one of the, that will be one of the key metrics that government look at as well in terms of the success of the future fund to see and ensure that there has been regional and um, a diverse recipient base for the capital that's being deployed through it. Fantastic. And, and you, you mentioned the fact that it was so quickly subscribed. Um, is there any expectation? Uh, do, do you expect that we might see the fund increased at all and, and um, sort of expanded on? Yeah, so obviously, they, they I think they received 700 applications on the first day, which is really positive. I think um, whilst they haven't announced an increase to the fund at the moment, the, the message seems to be that it's going to be a demand-led facility. So once um, those applications have been gone through, they will, they will continue to receive applications and won't limit the size of the fund until you know, the end of September when it closes. Fantastic. A very encouraging signs for, uh, for, for your area of the market. Last question to you, Julia. How do you think the sort of UK high growth ecosystem, as you referred to it, and, and entrepreneurial spirit in the UK might ultimately be impacted as a, as a result of coronavirus? Well, look, as a result of the last financial crisis, we saw 
kind of the, the almost the emergence of the high growth ecosystem in its latest form i think that the disruption caused by covid is likely to create a lot more entrepreneurs and because they have that opportunity to disrupt you know in some ways the economy's just been accelerated into the future as the crisis has compressed and accelerated trends that could have taken sort of a lot longer to play out um and with that sort of uncertainty and disruption you know there's always an opportunity for people to capitalize on it which is what entrepreneurs are good at doing you know we've already seen examples that have through digi health and uh, digital advertising to that are going to accelerate the growth of these businesses as people find their new normal their new new way of working education technology for example is going to play a massive role i would imagine in how people learn going forward you know i think that's that that's a really interesting area and and one to watch alongside obviously health tech um in terms of you know the way people are i think one of the things that the furlough scheme will have done is really imbibed that entrepreneurial spirit to the extent that certainly people i know who've 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 been furloughed unfortunately have definitely kind of all looked at like what their side hustle could be and it'll be a really interesting time to see how people have kind of expanded themselves and looked to to set up potentially new businesses during this time but in america we've seen that people have tended to have a side hustle whereas in the uk we you know whilst the entrepreneurial ecosystem has flourished over the last 10 years it's, it's either one or the other you're in a job or you're, you're an entrepreneur whereas i think what this will do is actually make people feel a lot more free to expand their their acumen through the world of digital and online content that there is to explore what other opportunities they can they can find and and, uh, and navigate Fantastic! Some very encouraging signs, I think, for for everyone, as you say, sort of seeing people adjust to this sort of new norm uh, as we go forward. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that sort of shapes up for for you, your colleagues, and and a number of the companies and new companies, as you say, that will be formed off the back of this coronavirus period. Thank you, Juliet. Great to have your first hand insight into this exceptionally interesting and important area of UK business. Thanks also, Will, uh, for joining us. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us for this edition of Word on the Street. Please do continue to share the podcast with friends and family as we look forward to welcoming you back next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.